Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let me get a sip of water here. Is this okay that we do it like this tonight? Before, um, before we even read a verse, I want to I ask you a question or two if I could, all right? Um, <clears throat> anybody in here interested in being right with God? Being right with God. Being right with God. Yeah, yeah. How about this one? Anybody in here, even if you struggle to do right, but you still, you want to do right, you want to do good, you want, you want to do what good people do, and, and, and yeah, amen. Um, anybody besides me sometimes struggle with that, though? You know, try to get it right and to do, and to do what's right, okay. And um, if you were looking around, you're not alone. In other words, you're in a room full of people tonight that want to be right with God, and want to do what's right, and, you know, and, and, but at the same time, still struggle to, to do what's right. And um, l let me ask you this, you, you ever, I'll, I'll be the first to raise my hand, maybe you do some things or you act in a, in a certain way that's, we just call it sin, you know, anger or, or, or whatever in your life, and You've, you kind of, it frustrates you with yourself because you know that's really not who you are and that's not how you want to be and that's not how you want to live and, and you know, sometimes you feel like, man, am I ever going to get it right? You know, it's like, what's up with this, with this struggle, right? Can you relate to that as well? Okay. Now, the reason I'm, I'm asking you these questions is because this, this is the heart of, of what the Word of God is revealing to us um, not just how to be right and how to do right but also how to understand and overcome this struggle where there's part of us that that absolutely wants to do right but it seems like there's this other part that keeps overriding that and and we wind up doing things that that we were disappointed we know we've disappointed God we know we've we've lived in such a way that's not in harmony with, with who we really are inwardly, okay? So I'm going to ask you to bring your hearts to attention tonight. We're going to dig into some stuff to get some answers tonight because that's what I believe, amen, we're here for and what the Holy Spirit wants, wants to give us tonight. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, before we go any further, I, I want to point out to you here that in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 2, we have identified for us two laws, L-A-W-S, two laws, okay? Now, these two laws actually complete... Um, a three-law package, if you will, that is talked about in, well, other parts of the book of Romans, but in chapter 7 and 8. And the first law that he talks about is the law of Moses, or what we would understand to be the Ten Commandments. So he talks about the law of Moses, then he talks about this dilemma that we deal with where we want to do right but struggle to do it. And, and for whatever reason, again, he's going to reveal those reasons to us. He even says the thing that we despise, the thing, that sin that we despise, um, but, for, but we continue to do. So he said that we continue to do the thing that we no longer want to do and even despise, but have a hard time following through on the good we know we should do, um, but, but have a hard time following through on that. All right, those are the answers that he's revealing to us here. And in order to understand the answers that Father God has for us, you've got to understand it within the context of these three laws. The law of Moses, 
the law of sin and death, not the same thing as the law of Moses. I'll show it to you in a moment. But in chapter 7, he calls that law another law. He talks about the law of Moses. He says, but, but there's another law. There's something else going on here. Amen. And then the third law is the law that we now have as born-again believers to overcome the law of sin and death and to fulfill the law of Moses. And that is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. All right? Now, let's, let's keep reading here. He says, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. This law here is that third law. He's speaking of the law of Moses. The law of Moses cannot make a man or a woman right before God in the eyes of God. It is powerless to do it. It is powerless to do it. Okay? For what the law, law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh, declared it unfit for use, All right? If you condemn a building, you're saying this building is no longer fit for use. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, All right? So again, what he's talking about here is Jesus, who knew no sin, becoming your sin and my sin, so that we could become His righteousness. He took our place so that He could give us His. The Son of God became a Son of Man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. So He became our sins so that we could become His righteousness. Now, notice it says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. He's talking about the, this, this right... Let me, let me just back up for a minute. Righteousness means to be right before God in the eyes of God. So that was one of the questions that we asked in the beginning. How many of you want to be, be right with God, be right before God? Well, the only way, listen to me please, the only way a man or a woman can be right with God, can be right before God in the eyes of God, is to receive that position as a gift. It cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved. It cannot be, um, you know, God uh, owing it to you because you've been such a good little boy or such a good little girl because you've obeyed the commandments and because you've done such a good job obeying the commandments that God now grants you righteousness based upon your works. This is when the Bible talks about it. It says that our salvation is not of works lest anyone should boast. It's not based upon what you do. Salvation and the righteousness that it produces in us is based on one thing and one thing only, what Jesus has done for you. Not what you do for Him, but what He's done for you, and you receive what He has done for you on your behalf by asking Him to come into your life, by surrendering your life to Him, and by calling upon Him, confessing out of your mouth that you believe in your heart that He's the Son of God, and that God raised Him from the dead. Amen. Right? So this is when you receive for yourself what Jesus has done for you as your substitute. Amen. And when that happens, you're not just given righteousness, you are made righteous. You become righteous through the new birth. You were born out of darkness into light, out of death into life out of evil and sinfulness with a nature and identity of a sinner to one who now has the nature of God himself and the identity of one who is right before God in the eyes of God. Okay? Amen. Now, Paul takes the first six chapters in the book of Romans to explain to you what I just said in six minutes. But then he comes to chapter 7 and he begins to ask these questions. If this is true, and it is, and I'm free from sin, and sin no longer rules over me, why do I still struggle with sin? Why does sin still seem to rule me? Why does sin still seem to be dominant in my life? Why? 
am I still inclined to break the commandments? If, if all this has happened and, and I've become this new creation in Christ Jesus and I have the nature of God now within me and I've been made right before God in the eyes of God, why do I still want to do things that are wrong and why do I still struggle to do things that are right? Come on now, can anybody relate to this? Okay, all right, so, so he's answering this question for us, not just to diagnose the problem, but to give us practical answers on what we can do on a daily basis to rise above the law of sin and death and operate in this law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to back up with me to Romans chapter 7, all right? Romans chapter 7 and verse number 1. I want to talk to you for a moment tonight, um, and hopefully we'll get more than this in tonight. But I want to talk to you for a moment tonight, at least in this point, about the law of Moses and what the law of Moses are those Ten Commandments. Why did God give them? Why, what was God thinking? Now listen to me, please. This is extremely important. Listen to me, please. This is extremely important. We need the mind of Christ here. You ask religion, you ask organized religion why God gave the commandments, they're going to give you one answer. You ask the average Christian why God gave the commandments, they may give you another answer altogether. You ask the man on the street why God gave the commandments, he might give you a third answer. There's all kinds of opinions as to why God gave those ten commandments. What we need to do tonight is understand it from God's perspective. Not what religion says. Not what organized religion says. Remember, members of organized religion stripped Jesus naked, beat him almost to death, and nailed him to a cross because he threatened their little fiefdom. He's threatened their little organized uh, thing that they got their pats on the backs and, and made themselves feel good about themselves because they participated in it, all right? I am so beyond that. I am so over that. Amen. If that's all there was to live in the Christian life, I'd be at home on my couch tonight eating barbecue ribs, watching football. I wouldn't be standing here. Amen. Amen. That's not who we are anymore. So we don't need what religion has to say about this. We need what God has to say about it and what God has to say about it right here. God gave those commandments for a very specific purpose and it wasn't to make us right. Those commandments are powerless to make you right before God in the eyes of God. And I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. That's not my opinion. It's what the Bible says. Amen. So if it wasn't to make us right, why did He give them? Why did He establish them? It wasn't to stop sin. The Bible says that, and God knew this. It wasn't like, oh man, I've messed up. I gave commandments and it caused sin to explode. God knew it was going to cause sin to explode when He gave the commandments. All right? Matter of fact, before we look at seven, let's, unless the Holy Spirit leads otherwise, let's go all the way to Romans chapter three. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Romans chapter three. Amen. The devil's a liar, by the way. He told me all oh, them folks won't be able to understand all. That. Yes, you will, Holy Spirit. Nobody can understand it unless the Holy Spirit helps us. Okay, Romans 3, and then we'll go back to Romans 7. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know, okay? Now, if, if we had three hours tonight, we would start at Romans chapter 1. Because Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, and then the first part of, of Romans chapter 3 establishes what we know now revealed in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, this is the, this is the Ten Commandments, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. All the world may become guilty before God. So when it says that every mouth may be stopped, God's polite. He doesn't say shut up. Amen? But His commandments were to shut everybody up. 
about how good they were and how well they mean and how this and that and and you know I mean you know he he sleeps with other men's wives and he tells lies and he's been known to steal some stuff every now and then but he's a good old boy you know I mean he's really not that bad of a fellow once you get to know him you know see again no that don't hold water my friend there's not a person in this room that hasn't broken the commandments. Maybe you haven't broken all of them, but guess what? It don't matter. If you break one of them, you're guilty of all of them. There's no such thing as like a, you know, God grading on the curve and because you got 80, you got 8 out of 10 now, you get a B and you're passing. It doesn't work that way. So we've all broken the commandments. You probably told a lie before you were five. Amen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, trying to hammer you, but again. Verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. That word justified is the same root word as to be made righteous. Justified means to just as if I'd never sinned or to be made right before God in the eyes of God. Notice again, therefore, by the deeds of the law, by doing the law, by, by obeying the commandments, no flesh will be justified in his sight, be made right before God in the eyes of God, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law was given to make you and me aware of our sinfulness. Some of you remember, and I, I'm, I've been praying about going back to them. I, I don't like teaching and preaching with glasses on. I get sweaty and they slide all over my face and it's a distraction. So I tried some contacts, and I was doing well, man. I was so diligent, all the solution, cleaning them every night, you know, all that, or every time I was supposed to clean them, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I started getting this really sharp pain in my eye. And, um, of course, we, me and Pam prayed over and spoke to it. It continued for a couple of days, and she said, maybe you ought to just let the eye doctor look at it. So I wheeled in there, Schaefer Eye Center, and asked my eye doctor. I said, man, you take a look at this for me. I didn't have an appointment or anything. He said, yeah, yeah, I'll be happy to. Just wait a few minutes, right? So I came back. He looks in my eye. He says, man, your eye looks fine. I don't, I don't see anything. He said, do you mind if, if I put this dye? He said, it's just a yellow dye. He said, do you mind if I put some of it in your eye? I said, no, doc, if you, know, if you need to do it, do it. So he took and put a drop of yellow dye in my eye. Then he looked back at my eye and immediately he went, oh man, there it is. And I'm like, there's what? He said, you have an ulcer on your cornea. If it sounds painful, guess what? You're right. Now, why am I telling you this story? The law of Moses is like that yellow dye. The yellow dye he put in my eye revealed what was wrong with my eye, but that yellow dye was powerless to fix it. The yellow dye was not medicine to correct the problem. It was something that was placed in my eye to reveal the problem. Once the problem was revealed, he then prescribed me some antibiotic drops to put in my eye that would actually fix the problem of an ulcerated cornea. Are you hearing me now? Please. This is what the law of Moses was intended to do. The law of Moses cannot fix your sin problem. It can only reveal it. It can only say, this is your problem. You have a sin problem. Here's the commandments. Here's the righteous requirements. Here's the standard. Here's, the, here's what you're supposed to live up to. And you can't live up to it. And God knew you couldn't live up to it. But He gave those commandments so that we would understand that we are sinners. We have a sin problem. And if God doesn't help us with our sin problem, we're sunk forever. All right. Now, go back with me now to Romans the seventh chapter. Praise God. Aren't you glad that there's an answer to all this? Verse chapter seven. I've got some slides. Let me just, let me just, matter of fact, let me put this up here, right? So we've got, um, praise God. We got the law of Moses, got the law of sin and death, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So right now we're talking about the law of Moses. I'm going to leave it up on the screen so you know that's what we're talking about, okay? Chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren? Well, let's back up. Chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Now, again, I wish we had three hours tonight, but in chapter 6, he just finished telling you and me that we died with Christ, that we were buried with Him, and then we were raised up together with Him to newness of life. So we died with Jesus, and what he's about to tell you, listen to me please, is that when you died with Jesus, you died to the law. Okay? Now again, let's just keep reading. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. For, her, for if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. He's given us an example here. Don't get so caught up on this, especially if you're here tonight and you've been divorced. Thank God for His grace. I'm not, I'm not here to try to teach and explain all that. But what he's simply saying is that if a, let's just say that a woman is married to a son of a gun, right? Mean, abusive, all that stuff. And, and yet she stays with him and then he finally kicks the bucket, right? Now she's free from the law of, of, of marriage, right? Because he's dead and when he died, she died with him or the law of marriage that they were that held her to him died when he died okay therefore and, and so because of this my brethren you also you also you also personalize this have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God for when we were in the flesh the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, let me stop right here. If you think this means it's right now to kill a man, lie to a man, steal from a man, and sleep with his wife, you are wrong. What he's saying we died to is we died to the law as a means of making ourselves right before God in the eyes of God. Before Jesus came and offered us a new, better, and living way, the only way a man or a woman had to try and make himself or herself right before God in the eyes of God was through obedience to the law. But thank God we have a better way now. Amen. Now, what I'm most interested in you seeing though is that when we were in the flesh the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit unto death in other words what, what is he saying here he's saying that when God outlawed all these things right that it actually aroused within us a desire to do it it didn't Again, yellow dye in my eye, right? It, the, the yellow dye that was the law, it revealed our sinfulness. And as we became more aware of our sinfulness, and as we became more focused on our sinfulness, guess what it led to? More sinfulness. More sinfulness. Not less, more. We felt condemned. We, we felt like it, it, it proved to us that we were sinners. We came to the conclusion that we were sinners. And your behavior always lines up with what you believe is true about you. So if you believe you're a sinner, you're going to just sin more and more. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Okay? So notice what he's saying here. He's, he's saying it's not that the law of Moses is bad, or that it's wrong, or that it's broken. Just on the contrary, right? It's, it's pure, and it's right, and it's holy. Remember the first verse we looked at? Am I boring you? Some of you looking bored now. Come on. Let's, some discipline tonight. Let's be focused here tonight, all right? 
It, he, he's, he's saying that there was nothing wrong with the law. The problem was our flesh. It was with what the law did to our flesh. The law didn't give us the ability to tame our flesh. It actually uh, ignited our flesh. It set our flesh on fire. It awakened within us sinful passions that, that were dormant. He says, I would have not known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Now let me tell you, let me, let me, by the way, if you don't understand Paul's background, Paul lived according to this law. He believed he was right with God because of his living according to this law. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees, a religious leader among religious leaders. Right? Now, he could have by the Holy Spirit. I don't want to go too far down this track, but listen to me, please. He could have, he could have said, I would have not known lying unless the law said you shall not lie. I would have not known stealing unless the law said you shall not steal. I would have not known adultery had the law not said um, you shall not commit adultery. But listen to me. That's not the one that he used. And if you look at those Ten Commandments, there's one that is different from the other nine. And it's this one. Why is it? Listen, it's one thing to not lie, to not steal, to not have sex outside of marriage, to, to not, all those other things, right? But notice, covetousness, wanting what somebody else has, wanting to, to because somebody else has it, you think you deserve it, this kind of stuff. That's a condition of the heart. That's something internal. That's something that discipline alone can't touch. And I believe that's one of the key factors in the, the Holy Spirit used in teaching the Apostle Paul these things, right? Because discipline, okay, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to this and I'm not going to that. But, but see, all those things are, are outside of a man, if you will. That covetousness is something in the heart. It's something deeper still. Amen. And Paul said, I would have not known it was sin unless God had told me it was wrong to want what another man has. Are you seeing this? But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. The law did it. You say, Pastor Mark, that's not right. Tell God when you see him. He's, I'm, I'm reading his words right now. He said that the law, taken opportunity by the commandment, Ten Commandments, produced in me all manner of evil desire, made him want it. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived it and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Verse 13. Don't miss it. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. The law is not death. Sin is death. But sin that it might appear sin. That it might be revealed for what it truly is. That it might bring it to the surface. That it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. Listen very carefully now. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. <clears throat> Let's go back to where we started tonight, okay? We want to be right. We want to do right. But everyone in this room that's being honest, even born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers, we still struggle to do the thing that we know we should do and we struggle to avoid, stop doing the thing we know we shouldn't. If the devil's told you you're the only person that deals with that, he's lying to you. Anybody that's honest, right? Now Paul is again explaining to us why this is the case, what's really going on here. Now, we also said that if we're going to ever understand these three laws, we've got to begin with the law of Moses, and we've got to understand why God chose to write those Ten Commandments in stone. 
Before those Ten Commandments were written, there was only one commandment given. Do not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And only two people broke that commandment. He talks about this in Romans chapter 5. But yet, everyone born from Adam to Moses before the law was given died as a result of those two people breaking that one commandment. Now God gives ten more commandments. This time, he writes those ten commandments in stone. I think the common understanding is the people were getting out of control. Population was growing and people were being exposed to other ways of life. And, and after all, man, Egypt was a free-for-all. It was sin city and... And so we got to bring all this in check. We got to pass us some laws now. We got to get some of these things written down before the people go crazy and, and, and sin, you know, just takes them over. And so God's going to write some laws and he's going to bring the people back into check and stop all this sinning. If you think that, you're wrong. That is not what the Bible says. God knew that when he passed the law, it would, it would arouse evil desire. It, it would awaken uh, passions for the things that he was saying and it would make sin appear, produce death, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Can I say that another way, please? So that our sin might become unbearable to the point that we look for a solution to it. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Verse 15, I've got some of these verses, I'm going to put them on the screen. Praise the name of the living God. So verse 15, it says this, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Doing the very thing that we've been freed from, no longer want to do, and even hate. Is it possible to continue to commit a sin that you hate? <laughs> yes, it's possible. It, listen to me. The apostle Paul did. The man, if you give him credit for Hebrews, he wrote half the New Testament. He organized a missionary effort that shared the gospel with every human being in Asia Minor. He raised the dead. He was raised from the dead. Are you understand what I'm saying? This was a man who walked. He went to the third heaven for crying out loud. Went there. God took him there. And then he came back to the earth to tell about it. This was a man who was saved, my brother, my sister. And yet he said he still struggled, not with sin that, well... Let me, let me try to explain the difference here, okay? I know I shouldn't do that, but man, I love that. <laughs> I know I shouldn't go there, but I sure do love that. Oh, Lord, I'll do my best to stay away from that, but man, you, whew, life's never going to be fun again without that. I understand if you're there on some things. Amen? I understand that. But he's not talking even about that. He's talking about behavior that he hates. And yet, the Apostle Paul still struggled to do it, doing it. This has nothing to do with making an excuse or giving us an excuse for our behavior. It's about us being man enough and woman enough to hear the wisdom of God on how to rise above it and, and, and cut it out and not let it destroy us. Notice here, obviously he's saying, I do not understand. Now the Holy Spirit's going to give him understanding, and that understanding is it's what's about to be revealed. But just like you and me, Paul knew in his heart that he, he, he not only didn't want to do those things anymore, but hated them, but still struggled with, stop, with stopping them. And he's trying to put his finger on it. That's, that's that phrase, I don't understand this. Let's, let's pull back the bigger picture again now. You ready? The bigger picture is Romans chapter 1 through chapter 6. 
He knew that. He knew that he was crucified with Christ. He knew that he was buried with Christ. He knew that he was raised up to him together with him in the newness of life. He knew that he was dead to the law. He knew that it didn't have dominion over him anymore. He knew that he was married to Christ. He knew that he was married to Christ so that he could now bear spiritual fruit with this new union, this new oneness that he had with Christ. He knew that he was dead to sin and dead to the law. But he didn't understand why it seemed to still have a hold on him. So he's explaining it for us here. What I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do. Think won't. If I'm doing what I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. Right? Think about what he's saying right there. There's something on the inside of him that's saying those Ten Commandments are right. There's something on the inside of him that's been written there. We're going to learn later that that's called the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Not the Ten Commandments, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's been written there. He said that in this new covenant, he would write his laws on the fleshly tablets of our heart. Those laws, my friend, are love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the third one, John 13, 34, love others as Jesus has loved us. Those are the laws that have now been written on our born-again spirits. Amen. And Jesus said, if we fulfill those laws, we will fulfill all the law and the prophets, the commandments and the prophets. Okay? But notice he's saying that if there's something in me that no longer wants to do these things, even though I'm still drawn to do them, what's happening is something on the inside of me is agreeing that the commandments are good that they're right verse 17 but now it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me now denial is not a river in Egypt okay but but this is not denial Paul is recognizing <clears throat> that the that the real born-again Paul is the Paul that doesn't want to do these things anymore it's the part of him that agrees with those commandments that they're the right way to live when I asked you a moment ago if you want to be right, if you want to live right and do right, right? In other words, there's something, listen to me. If you're here tonight, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not your judge. I'm here to help you. I'm here to serve you. If you're here tonight and you're like, no, dude, I thought this bus was going uh, to Sonic. I didn't know it was coming to Heritage. I have no interest in being right with God. I have no interest in pleasing God. I have no interest in doing what is right. Then you more than likely need to get born again. I don't mean that like as, as condemnation because when the resurrected and glorified Jesus Christ comes to live inside of you, you may still commit sin and make mistakes, but you don't enjoy it like you used to. There's something in you that's saying, man, this is wrong. This is not how I'm supposed to live. I'm not supposed to look a man in the face and tell him a lie. I'm not even supposed to cut the corner of truth. And, and as my brother-in-law says, tell the truth attractively, which is nothing more than telling a lie. Can't do it and be happy. Can't do it and be content anymore. But he said, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, sin dwells in me. The next verse provides clarification. Where he's, and this, notice he's fixing to tell us where it dwells. Are you ready? Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Do not find where? In his flesh. Are you seeing this? He says that I know that in me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. There is a want to present with me, right? There's something in me that wants to do good, but how to perform? Perform means to do it, to actually obey the commandments. 
How to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. He didn't say that you practice. This wasn't Paul writing to a bunch of baby Christians at Rome and he was hammering down on them. He's talking about himself here. And if he's talking about himself, guess who, he, who else he's talking about? Me and thou. Amen. So he gives it to us again in verse 20. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Where does it dwell in him? It dwells in his flesh. It dwells in his flesh. Okay? So before we go any further, what dwells in your flesh? Sin dwells in your flesh. Now let me remind you that as a born-again believer, if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, you will live according to what's in your flesh. According to means based upon, in agreement with, and directed by. If you set your mind upon the things of the flesh and sin dwells in your flesh, you will live a life based upon sin, in agreement with sin, and directed by sin that's in your flesh. The law of sin and death written in your flesh. This is what he's talking about here. All right, praise God. We're, we're out of time. Let's, can we go just a little bit more here? All right. So verse 21. He said, I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. Notice, he says, he doesn't say he is sin, right? He doesn't say he is evil. He says that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. Time out for just a moment. Paul speaks of his flesh in the third person. He said, I, listen very carefully, I will not let it rule me. I will rule over it. He's speaking of his flesh in the third person. He recognizes that his flesh is not him. It's not who he is. Who is he? Who are you? You are that born again spirit inside this earth suit, inside this flesh. That's who you really are. Paul recognized that that's who he truly was. He was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus deep inside of himself. That's who he was born a second time and that's who he became through that experience. Listen to me, please. Your flesh was not born again. That's why your salvation will not be complete until this flesh receives its transformation and you're given a glorified body that will be comparable to the born-again spirit that's already inside this one. You have a treasure in an earthen vessel. No man puts new wine in an old wineskin, yet that is exactly what Father God did. He put the new wine of His Holy Spirit in this old wineskin of human flesh so that we might live here on this earth and do His business. Amen? I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Your flesh is your outward man. Inward man delights in those commandments. That's back to, do you want to, do you want to be right with God? Do you want to do what's right? Amen. That's, that's you answering this question for yourself. Yeah, I delight in those things. That's the kind of life I want to live. I want to be a good person. I want to do right. I want to live right. I want to please God. I want to live a life that pleases God, right? Paul says, I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members. Speaking of his flesh. Warring against the law of my mind, or we could say the law of my inward man. Bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. That law of sin, 
which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, here's the conclusion, with the mind, inward man, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Let me, let me stop right here, okay? I know I've gone way over, but let me just... These things take time. Notice, we're not even through with the first one. Number one is law of Moses. Number two, we just now are introducing the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death... Let me just... This might be the easiest way to do it. Thank you, Jesus. I put this up this morning. I'm going to go all the way. Praise God. The law of Moses. You ready? Written in stone, God's moral code applies to all humanity, whether they know them or not, cannot make a person right before God, was given to reveal the law of sin and death in our members and convince us of our need for a Savior. All right? The law of sin and death, not written in stone, written in our flesh, a result of Adam's sin, present in our members, why the laws in stone arouse sinful passions, the reason we continue to do things we despise and no longer want to do, makes good seem hard and unappealing, cannot be overcome by willpower alone. That's huge right there. Paul said it over and over again. I didn't point it out to you when I looked at those verses. I should have. Over and over Paul said, the good I will to do, I don't do. The good I will to do, I don't do. Paul was a man of incredible willpower. I mean, was it three days and nights shipwrecked, floating in the ocean? And you follow what I'm saying? A, a man of incredible mental strength, endurance, and perseverance. Self-control, discipline. He could quote the Old Testament backwards. But his willpower and your willpower, my willpower, no match. No match for these things. Finally, we come to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's written upon our born-again spirit, a result of Jesus' obedience and completed work. The reason we're no longer comfortable practicing sin gives us the ability to overcome sin and live the life God created us to live, makes doing right easy and enjoyable, when acted upon enables us to rise above the law of sin and death. Amen. So I like to teach this practically. I'm closing this up. If you think of the law of sin and death as gravity, gravity is always present. And Paul said that law of sin and death, as long as you're in this condition, we're not always going to be in this condition, but as long as we have a born-again spirit inside of a corrupted flesh body, we're going to have to contend with the law of sin and death. So if you think of the law of sin and death as the law of gravity, and if you think of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus as the laws of flight or the laws of lift, when someone gets in an airplane and rises above and overcomes gravity, gravity is not done away with. They're flying in the face of gravity. They're flying despite gravity. They're, they're operating in a law that enables them to overcome that, that law of gravity. When you learn how to operate in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, you operate in a law that enables you to rise above the law of sin and death. Okay? Now, how do we do it? All of this was an introduction for this morning's sermon, and I'm not even through the introduction yet. It's all of this complexity, all of this that, that leads up seven of the most important chapters in all the New Testament lead up to Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those born-again believers who continue to live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those born-again believers who live according to the Spirit, directed by, in agreement with, based upon what's written in your spirit, are those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
You fly the plane, you rise above the law of sin and death and operate in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus by setting your mind on the things of the spirit. Set your mind on the things of the spirit, you will become spiritually minded. You will develop a spiritual mindset which will enable you every day of your life to rise above the law of sin and death say no to what you need to say no to and follow through and do what God created you to do, fulfilling your purpose and destiny on planet earth. The law of gravity is a law that acts upon you. You don't have to do a thing for gravity to do its thing. But the law of lift and flight is a law that must be acted upon. It's something that you must do in order to overcome the law of gravity and operate in the laws of flight and rise above it. In the same way, if you do nothing, the law of sin and death will act upon you and you will continue to live based upon your flesh, in agreement with your flesh, directed by your flesh. But if you will act upon, you have to act upon the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You have to set your mind on the things of the spirit. There's something you have to do, a deliberate, intentional act. And you'll rise above it, my friend. Stand with me, praise God. You get anything out of this? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we've covered a lot of ground tonight, but your Holy Spirit is here with us. I sense him in this room. Father, not just an anointing upon the speaker, but anointing upon the hearer tonight. Father, I thank you that we haven't just received information. We've received revelation. And Father, even beyond that, we have received impartation. Father, you are imparting truth and wisdom in our inward parts, Lord. Father, answers that we've, we've been confused by and, and Lord, religion is confused by and, and what these things look like and why we keep doing things that we know we shouldn't do and don't want to do make us feel so bad and guilty and ashamed, Father. And yet, that's why you said there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Father. You were speaking that, uh, not stating the obvious. You were telling people who were feeling condemned that there's, hey, no reason to be condemned here. Don't condemn yourself. Because you're not condemning us, Father. You're loving us and you're giving us the answers that we need to live the life that you created us to live. So, Father, I boldly confess over every man, every woman, every person listening to me speak right now, Father, that we will rise above the law of sin and death. We will operate in the righteousness that we have become. We will live our lives based upon, in agreement with, and directed by, Lord, what you have given to us in our born-again spirits. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Good things coming. Praise God.